Today on the podcast, we have my new friend, Mr. Mac Styles, and uh, Mac is someone who I have seen from afar at conferences and such in the past, and specifically at a conference a few years ago, I was really, really inspired about his um, emphasis and his life story in reference to making disciples among the nations. And so, um, as that's one of our high values here at the Vine Church, it's a joy to have Mac here with us for our Vine Conversations podcast. So Mac, welcome. Thank you. So Mac, tell us um, just a little bit about yourself, and I'd love to dive into more of your story because I just know some snapshots, but uh, just yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm, uh, I graduated with a degree in microbiology after coming to faith a couple years before at a skiing and mountain climbing school in Zermatt, Switzerland. Okay. Uh, a young man shared the gospel with me over a disco. This was back in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I bent my knee to Christ in a in a bad hostel in Zermatt, Switzerland, and amidst beer bottles and a lot of bad things. Uh, sure. And uh, that was in 1972. Mm-hmm. So I I never really heard the gospel before. I was thrilled to hear how to be reunited with Christ hmm. uh, through, through faith and repentance. And so that's launched a journey for me. I, I've never looked back, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I, it's been amazing. So uh, when I graduated from university, I went on staff with campus ministry. I love that. I did that for 20 years in the States and then directed short-term mission programs mm-hmm. in Kenya and Guatemala and in Tunisia. And those are very seminal for us. Uh, so I love student ministry on campus and evangelism and, you know, uh, seeing students grow in their faith. Uh, I love missions. And um, so in two th- well, 1999, I agreed to go overseas to the Middle East to pioneer student ministry on university campuses somewhere in the Arabian Peninsula, we didn't really know where. We just knew that it might be a good time. Um, and uh, we we researched, decided to move to Dubai. So these are Muslim campuses. No one had ever done this before, as far as we knew. Wow. You know, wow. Since, well, certainly since Muhammad rode into Mecca. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, 9-11 hit. Right. So we... It was a gut check mm-hmm. and it's very much on our mind these days. You know, here it is September what 10th and yep. tomorrow is that day. But on September 12th, the day after 9-11, we banged our for sale sign in the front yard of our house and the house sold on 9-13, which was uh, the bigger gut check. <laughs> I mean, it was like, wow, yeah. we're really going to go. Yeah. Uh, and a confirmation that God wanted us to, you know, it was real, there was real sense of, the Lord's leading in that. And so we packed up the kids and I'd say a couple months later, packed up the kids, flew over to the Middle East in an empty airplane. You know, no one was flying that direction. Right. And, uh, how old were your kids? And it was the, 
They were uh, 14, 12, and 10. What did they think about so, that? Our oldest son, who was a believer, he had come to faith in Guatemala on one of our short-term trips, and he was very excited about it. And our middle son was just along for the ride. And our youngest son, our 10-year-old, who is our most outgoing and was not a believer at the time, uh, he thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. Sure. <laughs> so sure. we didn't know that till much, much later. Sure. <laughs> he didn't tell us. I mean, so all three of our boys are walking with the Lord. Uh, actually, they're very active. Oh, we're all in the same church here in Louisville at Third okay. Avenue Baptist Church. And uh, so it's been an awesome experience to be back and be with the children and the grandchildren now. We have yeah. two wonderful daughter-in-laws. So uh, they, 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 you know, there's a range of what people thought about it in our family. Right. But, uh, but I mean, by God's grace, uh, our middle son and our youngest son came to faith and in, in overseas. Yep. Uh, so we're, we're grateful for that. And so how long were you in uh, Dubai? 16 years in Dubai. Doing campus ministry. Campus ministry. The whole time was the day job, but okay. of course, I mean, in one, in one sense, Zach, our, <laughs> we went over really thinking that no one, I mean, my, oh, ye of little faith, right? Really right. thinking no one would come to the Lord. <laughs> that was the stories we'd heard. And, right, right. You know, just, you know, I was just going to be a, you know, a Ebenezer planted in the sand so that there would be no, you know, no, uh, problems on the day of judgment saying they were without witness, you know, yeah, <laughs> so, but, yep. you know, students started coming to faith a lot, but you know, a lot of them came to the Lord. And, um, we sort of realized pretty quickly is it, we can't, you can't not have the church, right. you know, student right. ministry, you, you graduate these guys. And so we, uh, we were a part of a church. It was kind of a classic international church, which, Cynics call the church of the lowest common denominator. You know, yeah. it's a, all the Christians get together and they don't want to do anything vital. So they, you know, it's more of a club. Sure. And that was, I mean, there were really, really good people in the church that we joined, but they just didn't know any, they had no ecclesiology. They didn't know what they were doing. And I, I understood, you know, in a lot of ways. So that's why you hear a lot of times you hear missionaries say, we, we want to stay away from the church. But because we were seeing, A, we were seeing students come to faith and, you know, and B, there was no other place to go to. Right. We sort of, as a team, there was, there was three couples that went together. Yeah. Uh, we rolled up our sleeves and pitched in and revitalized that church. Yep. Um, and of course, uh, there were other brothers and sisters alongside us at, in that. Yeah. But now it's a, you know, it's a dynamic gospel-centered church Beautiful. in Dubai. And there's seven more that have been planted as a result of that. Wow. And so what did you do after Dubai? So, uh, well, I finished in Dubai. That was a cool thing. Uh, the student ministry flourished. I, I bet there was, I bet last week there was probably 400 students meeting on campuses across the UAE and other countries in the Gulf as a result of, you know, the of the start of that work and uh you know probably 20 different fellowships on different campuses so uh yeah amazing outpouring of god yes for the student ministry that continues on but we realized we, we kind of done what 
we had set out to do. And uh, we needed to hand over the leadership. You know, I mean, some of the worst problems in missions and this is true for the church too, but some of the worst problems in missions is in transition. Yep. You know, transitions don't go well. They tend not to. Yep. And so we uh, prepared a, a, a brother. His name is Nissen. He was born in Abu Dhabi. He was raised in Dubai. Um, he was an elder in the church. It was like, Nissen, you're the guy, you yep. know, you, I yep. want you to take this over. And so he did in uh, 2015, we had a big, big celebration that's baton he literally had a baton i don't know where they found a baton they don't run track in the uae so i uh so but we had a baton mark dever spoke you know we had all the people that you know had hundreds of people that had come in who had been influenced by the ministry and other churches that had formed as a result of all this and you know big send-off for me it was kind of like being able to go to your own funeral without having to die you know it was right. really great right that's amazing so uh so yeah but we didn't really know what we were going to do and um and I went into a funk for a, a while. My, and my wife was very unhelpful about that. You know, she was like, you know, pull up your socks. You know, we did the right thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm moping around feeling yeah, sorry for myself. Sure. But in the midst, of, in the midst of all that, uh, we had a friend come say, Hey, there's this little nascent church that's sort of formed. They, they're not really constantly, you know, it's just sort of a gathering of Christians up in Iraq. And uh, we'd like you to go check it out since you're kind of our go-to guy for international churches and vital international churches. And yeah. I said, sure, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to go. And I'd, I've knocked all over, I knocked around all over uh, the Middle East, but I, I'd never been to Iraq and it's hard to get into. So I said, sure, yeah, I'd, I'll go. If you pay the airfare, I'll go. So sure. they said, yeah. <laughs> so and I went up to Erbil and went to a whacked out church. It was nuts. Um and beautiful people in it. And I just fell in love with them. I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it. I, you know, I just, um, these are Iraqi Christians or, or there were all kinds. I mean, it was an international church okay, and English speaking, oh, but okay. this is, this is actually Kurdish. This is, Erbil is Kurd, uh, the, the center of Kurdistan, okay. which is a semi-autonomous region. So the dominant uh, people group there is Kurds. Okay. Uh, Arabs, I mean, there were a number of Iraqi Arabs. So, so they were, so they're technically Iraqis, but okay. they're not Iraqi Arabs. Okay. Um, anyway, unreached people group. And uh, and there were believers there uh, who were in the church from, wow, they just uh, all over. Iranians, Iraqis, Syrians, lots of Syrians, you know. Uh, so, every, you know, it's the whole thing. Super multi-ethnic, super multicultural, super international and uh, incredible incredible godly people but again zero ecclesiology didn't know what they were doing in church <laughs> gotcha so i mean i just got lots of stories about that but they knew they were in trouble too and so i i just offered myself i did i i, I mean they had me over a barrel i would have gone Here's no matter what, what. so i would have gone uh if they had said we can't pay you and you know but we want you to come because i yeah. knew the lord wanted me there so we in, long answer to your question, but in 2016 we moved up there to be the, the pastor. Okay. At um, at uh, the Erbil International Baptist Church. Wow. So help me understand. <laughs> I, no, there's lots, <laughs> lots to no, help people with on this, uh, brother. I, <laughs> I think I think most people are. I, I could be wrong here, but I'll speak for myself, and I think there's probably others that would relate to what I'm going to say. 
like when we hear about Iraq, when we hear about the Middle East, we think hardline Muslim oppression. They're like, it's totally unreached. And anybody who gives the impression that they're a Christian is going to be just um, persecuted severely. So when I hear that there's a Baptist church in Iraq, in, 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 uh, in the Kurdish province, you're like, what? I didn't like that doesn't that doesn't show up on our media like th- is that even possible? Yeah. So paint the picture of what what is reality like in I at least where you lived in Iraq. I know it's a huge country. Um, well, it's a huge. I, I just wrote an article for Desiring God about nine eleven about us leaving for nine eleven. Yeah. I think it comes out today. Um, and I I said let me. Let me start off because the question was posed for this article, where are we in missions in the Muslim world? And it's just, there's no Muslim world. You know, right. I mean, it's all different. There's no, <laughs> there's right. no Arab world. I mean, they don't get along themselves. You know, they, I mean, it's, it's a, it's like saying the white people world or the black people world. It's, it's very, yeah. very, very diverse. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, there's lots of opinions and lots of differences and, you know, so, so in one sense, the picture you just painted is true some places. You know, right. it's true. Right. I, I, and we've experienced that. And I'd say it's mostly true uh, in, well, in Saudi or Yemen in some ways. But look, I've never gone, I've never gone to a Middle Eastern city, and I've been in a lot of them, and it didn't find the Holy Spirit there beat me there. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like the Lord has forgotten these places. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And he has his people in places and people, you know, as he encouraged Paul, do not be frightened. I have many of the elect here, you right, know, many right, of the elect. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, I think for, for us, uh, we weren't, Leanne and I, my wife's name's Leanne. Leanne and I weren't um, foolish. I don't think we we made foolish moves. Mm-hmm. And there are many foolish moves you can make. Sure. Um, Iran. Iran would be a place of enormous persecution. Sure. Uh, but... But isn't the church in Iran growing very very quickly yeah see that's the thing i mean and and god's people are in place and the lord is at work there and we've we've seen personally seen many iranians come to faith and at the same time you know there were six people in our church under death threats from their families yeah so i mean i it's a it's a weird thing Mm -hmm. uh uh, and it's not cnn because it's not big enough for the whole right but it's not untrue either Right. If that makes sense. Yep. So uh, it's like crime in Madison, you know, I I mean, you can go places and downtown or, you know, I don't know where the bad places are in Madison where people have high crime areas, but anyhow, you can go there and be in danger and you can do the same in the Middle East, but there are places where Christians are accepted. And one of them would be the Kurds. We found the Kurdish people to be delightful and welcoming and interested in the gospel and, kind and and historic christianity has been there forever you know i mean a lot longer than in the u.s so i would open my 
Bible up to maps in the back and ask someone where they would were from and they'd point to the map, you know, here, oh, my city's here, wow. <laughs> you know, ancient cities. And, and wow. uh, so there's Chaldean Christians and there's, there's a Syrian Christians. There's a church there that speaks Aramaic, the language of Jesus. So wow. you have ancient Christianity there. Yep. Um, and so, so it's not, but these are not, these are kind of legacy. What I, I guess I'd call legacy churches that I, if you read the book of Revelation, I think the lampstand was long removed from these, these churches who've lost their, lost the gospel, you sure. know, so it's more of a cultural Christianity, but anyhow, people are much more sophisticated than that in these, in these parts of the world. Yep. And uh, if you're kind, I, you know, I think people, uh, there's much more openness than you would be led to believe. Right. Right. So commonly. Yeah. That's really, really helpful. Um, how do you think about the differences in, is, is, are there differences in sharing your faith? Um, I know there are. I'd love to hear you talk about this. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, yeah. There are and there aren't, right? Um, talk about the difference between sharing your faith in the States versus sharing your faith in the Middle Eastern context. And again, I know that's a, a broad no, question. No, no, I, I think about that all the time, brother. Yeah. I'm not, that's a great question. And uh, so on the baseline, it's the same, you know, like you kind of alluded to, it's, yeah. it's the gospel is what we share with people. Yeah. And we want to be bold and clear with that. Uh, so we need to have an understanding of the gospel down cold mm-hmm. and we want to take risks. Uh, we, we do it wisely. We do it kindly as we can but we want to take risks in opening up conversations about the gospel. And we do that in a Muslim context. And we do that here. We found it far more easy to share our faith in a Muslim context than in an American context, yeah. because I think apathy is apathy is the worst. It's true. Uh, people we, have been, we've seen that this. in Madison. Yeah. Apathy. Oh, sure. It's just, it's just oh, apathy. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're Christian. That's cool. Like go yeah. ahead. You do you and do whatever you like. Yeah. yeah I'll yeah, do whatever. me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people, and, and we're a bit of an anomaly in the Muslim context. So a lot of times we talk to Muslims who'd never met a Christian right. or a genuine one. Right. Uh, and certainly not one that wanted to talk about it. And so they are fascinated. And so there are other obstacles, obviously the biggest obstacle for the, for sharing your faith in a, in a Muslim context is when, Muslims come to faith, the consequences are so severe. Yeah. And mostly societally. Right. So, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church was kind of the ancient, uh, uh, you know, first century statement. And, and there's many things about that that are true. But if you're willing to shed enough blood, you can't snuff out the church. And uh, over time, if you, as a society, suppress Christians, you aren't allow, you don't allow them to flourish and grow. Uh, you tax them. You, all those things are inherent in Islam. Uh, you can really suppress Christian growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, why am I talking about that? Oh, just what well, what you find is. It, it, the consequences of conversion are severe. Yes. And uh, uh, both immediately in terms of being martyred, which is a, a real thing, 
uh, as it's prescribed by the Quran. That's not, it's not even in, even liberal Muslims recognize, yes, that's, that's a part of Islam. That's Quranic. It's not a part of the Hadith or the explanations of the Quran. Sure. And uh, then societally, the pressure that stops people from flourishing. Those are very effective <laughs> kind of ways yeah. to stop people from coming to faith. And families, for us, it was not the Kurdish government. Actually, they were, there's no conversion laws uh, in Kurdistan. Okay. Uh, I think, actually, I think they don't, there is some penalty if you convert before you're a certain age. So you have to be 15 or 18, something like that. But at any rate, they, the government doesn't, doesn't care that much. Uh, it's more the families and how right. it looks to the family. Right. And we work in North Africa and that's the same testimonies we've been hearing um, huh. where, uh -huh. where our team is located. It's not martyrdom. It's just being ostracized by your family. Oh yeah. Or just, Very painful. Yeah. And, or can't find a job because no one's going to hire you because they right. know you're Christian. It's right. the societal pressure is very, very yeah. real. Yeah. How have you seen the, the church come alongside some of those folks in ways that um, just help bridge that gap? Oh, well, the beauty is the church, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's it's the church be. be in the church. <laughs> yeah, the church be. is be in the church. Uh, so for us in Erbil, I, I mean, that was job one in some ways of loving one another. Yeah. Just the, the fellowship, the beautiful coming together of people across boundaries, across normal i mean we, so we'd have pakistanis and indians praying together we'd have palestinians praying with turkish neighbors and you know uh all of them praying with americans <laughs> which you know it's kind of a, amazing uh you know just kurds kurds and arabs praying you know it was just a the beauty of the gospel when you can overcome those boundaries the beauty of the gospel is displayed powerfully yes uh, in our genuine and true love that is not the world's love. Yep. And so coming alongside people like that is, it was just phenomenal. The real, the real, the real issues are when people are baptized. Yeah. Uh, so in Iran particularly, so we had lots of Iranians, there's a, a huge Iranian Kurdish population an open border with Iran and Kurdistan. So uh, when Iranians come to faith, you know, it's seen as treason. Yeah. It's the Iranian Islamic Republic. Right. And so that's there is governmental executions for conversion in in Iran and the and the touch point is not I'm I've become a Christian like we would think in the West. Right. The the real the real trigger is a baptism. Cuz it's public. It's and like a, a it's public like a, there's probably some confusion about what I mean yeah. some Catholic confusion about uh you know that's actually a conversion, you sure, know? Sure. Uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons. Like I, a baptism makes you a Christian. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, some Protestants think that too. Sure. sure. <laughs> Wrongly, but I mean. Right. So uh, uh, in, in those, in those situations, we, we did different things. You know, some people uh, said, I'm not afraid and I want to share with my family. And one brother has led his family to the Lord. You know, we had others who had uncles or never, it's never the parents or brothers and sisters, but we had, we had people with some distant relatives that genuinely were out to kill them. Yeah. Um, and alerted 
you know, some extremists about their conversion and they were hounded out of the country. So we helped them, you know, help them leave. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I want to ask you about the church from another angle, because I'm so curious about the diversity in the, in the local church that you've helped lead. And I think of the challenge of diversity and the uh-huh. challenge of different cultures mingling in the same church. And I think of Jew and Gentile, like in Ephesians chapter two, and that was the big challenge. You know, it's like, you guys are one now. And before you were enemies. Right. And, you know, maybe there's enemies uh, culturally in the local church where you've participated. But even if there's not, like, you, you mold different cultures together. And there's collisions at times, I would imagine. Oh, always, always. How, yeah. Tell us about how you navigated that. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, so a lot of times, I, this has been maybe just our own reverse culture shock coming back to America. But um, a lot of times our, our conflicts seem nasty uh henry kissinger went to vietnam and tried you know uh you know he was the guy that tried to and did i guess in some ways introduce peace in vietnam or tried to then he went to harvard and he was uh on the uh staff there oh he's a professor there and someone asked him what is what is uh the difference between the diplomacy that you were doing with countries at war and the diplomacy that you were required to do at Harvard. And he said, well, Harvard was far more nasty, far more mean-spirited. And because it's so little at stake, yeah. <laughs> you know, you get two tenured professors going at each other. Sure. Um, so I sometimes felt like in Erbil, the stakes were so high that we actually got along a lot better. Yeah. The the differences seemed much, much less important. I mean, they just Right. I mean, we had we had a brother from Eritrea. Get this. I mean, we had a brother from Eritrea who fled Eritrea to be safe in Iraq. Wow. Uh the persecute, you know, when you look at the persecution charts, I don't know who comes up with these things, but anyhow, you know, it's always North Korea right. at the bottom. Right. right next to that is Aaron Tria. Right. And uh, and at his wedding day, this brother uh, had the police show up and say, if you sing a Christian song, and they mean evangelical Christian song. Yeah. They knew he was evangelical. If you sing a Christian song, we're taking you to jail. This is on his wedding day. He said, take me now. Wow. And they did. Three months in jail. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I mean, things like that happen to him all the time. He's constantly being harassed. Uh, it makes you know, our, for him to yeah. be, <laughs> for him to have to go back to that environment, it was like, we would have done anything for him. Right. You know, I, I don't care if he is exactly with us on everything. Right. <laughs> Although I will say, I will say his, uh, his ecclesiology, his, his uh, theology was astonishingly great. I mean, and and he's one of the leaders in the church now. Yeah. uh, But just a dear brother and a thoughtful guy. 
uh, family, sweet family that loves the Lord. You know, I mean, but it's like when when so the, start, when, when you're in the foxhole, it it puts perspective on things <laughs> on your on your neighboring foxhole mates resident. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm not as concerned about the things that annoy me about you when there's bullets flying over my head. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Uh, but certainly there are conflicts. I mean, you know, the things that uh, one of my dearest friends on the on our elder team was a brother from Jamaica and we probably butted heads more than anybody. Uh, although I think we also held each other in high regard. I still do to this day. Yeah. Um, and he was very good for sharpening me as iron sharpens iron, you know? So, uh, I think, I think it really helped when you're in a diverse situation, probably the best thing that happened for us by God's grace was to have a diverse eldership. Yes. Um, So if you have leaders who are diverse, uh, it goes a long way. Yes. I mean, so it's just, I I, I don't know any other way around it, honestly. Yeah. And, and the pattern is from the book of Acts, right? So when there was conflict uh, with the, the Jewish widows, the Hellenistic, widows and and the, the greek widow are you well no hellenistic is greek so greek and hebrew widows mm-hmm. they as appointed deacons who were almost all greek um so they needed that kind of diversity they saw mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. they saw that need yeah now we don't know exactly what happened there sure uh but uh i would i would say that was pretty intentional and we should be more careful for us who would be in diverse situations. You know, it doesn't always happen. Right. You, you can't manufacture diversity. Um, and unity is a higher order. Um, so every week in our church at Third Avenue, we pray for unity and diversity together. Yeah, that's you know, that's so sweet. Yeah. We didn't need to pray that that much in Reveal because, I mean, we were just... Together, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it was a matter of following biblical principles, following the gospel's clear statement about who right. we were right. before God as we loved one another. And so, it was powerful. So we had, let me tell you one story. Yeah, yeah. So we had a, uh, Zach, you cut me off at any point now. If you, no, if no, you, Joe, you do your thing, Because we, we were supposed to be talking about evangelism, but anyhow. So, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, so we, we had a baptism. Uh, uh, the woman's name was uh, inexplicably, I don't know our father name, the father's name, their children in Muslim families, and her name was uh, Kurdistan. <laughs> so people thought we had Miss Kurdistan going to our church. <laughs> uh, and we did, we did. Anyhow, so she came to faith, very clear. I mean, and when I say came to faith, so for us, uh, you know, they had to understand the gospel in their own language clearly. They they had to meet with an elder and explain how they had come to faith. They had to understand our church covenant and our church doctrinal statement in their own language. Yeah, uh, we had people meet with them, and uh, and we as a congregation voted on them, uh, looking for fruit of repentance. I mean, we were because because there's pressures in many of these countries to convert so that they can go to Europe, so they can immigrate. Yeah, uh, they we did not issue baptism certificates. Yeah, uh, we would baptize, but we wouldn't 
we didn't make it easy. Yeah. Because we we ulterior motives. We realized, yeah, there's lots of reasons. So, and lots of people fall away. So we wanted to be sure that people had truly been born again, and she had. Uh, you know, uh, Kurdistan came to faith. Uh, her husband was not opposed. He was, he was a nominal Muslim, like most actually, like most Muslims, kind of nominal. Uh, they had a nine-year-old son. Uh, he came to her baptism, and then he wrote me about it, mm-hmm. and it was like. Uh, you know, I was hoping he'd talk about my great preaching and the explanation of the gospel, but he didn't say a word about that. He said, I couldn't get over the love. I've never seen anything like it. Wow. Uh, so he listed, he listed five things. It was like one, one was I loved being able to worship with my wife, you know, mm-hmm. that we came to a, a religious service. It was the first time he'd ever been in a church. Yes. Um, so he said, I love that we could be together with, and with my son and he said something else. I can't remember. But he, and he said, I loved that uh, you got along with people that normally fight. Mm. So, so there it is, just, just straight out of the book of John, right? right? John 13, John 17. The love that we had one for another displayed our discipleship in Christ. The unity that we had in Christ was a statement of Christ's divinity, as Jesus says in John 17. So, so John 13, John 17. It's very clear that our love and unity is the best evangelistic tool we have. And uh, uh, Jafar later came to faith, uh, but in a refugee camp in a Northern European city, because Kurdistan's family ran her out of town trying yeah. to kill her. Wow. And he stuck with her. We thought we'd lost him. You know, we thought he'll never come to faith after he's seen the consequences yeah. of what Kurdistan went through. But Jafar came to faith in a refugee camp and wrote us and said, uh, I continue to be amazed at the love of the church. I mean, we flew people up to be with them. Yeah, uh, They were actually hounded out of France by some Iranian wow. uh, Hezbollah folks. So anyhow, but they're flourishing. You know, they've gotten in a good church. I think it might be an Acts 29 church uh, 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 up north. I, I won't say this the country, but yeah, anyhow, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so we saw, we saw those kind of things happen because of the love and unity in the church. It's, it's so, so critical for the church to get this in America. Oh my gosh. So as you're talking, Mac, I'm just feeling so convicted that when we're sitting here right now, fighting over masks and vaccines and yeah. pa- I mean, I know three pastors that have gotten fired cause they fell on the wrong side of the elder board uh, on that issue one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and it's like, gosh, it's just really, it's, a, I feel it as a cultural Christian American rebuke. Like we don't have enough at stake. Like we're, we're so comfortable that we're fighting over <laughs> vaccines. We're fighting yeah. over vaccines and masks, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's it's really good for uh, or Trump stuff or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And, and and it's so good for us to hear these stories from other parts of the world, where yeah. it, it it relativizes us, it sobers us. I'm so thankful that you've shared those. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like I say, it's been one of the harder things of coming back to America. Uh, and we we love we love the church here, and we love yeah. our Christian brothers and sisters. Yep. And uh, it does tear us apart to see good people uh, torn up. Yep. Uh, 
because they can't get along. So I just think of when Paul's writing about disputable matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could be wrong. I just don't think he's probably gonna put uh, masks and vaccines as a primary issue <laughs> biblically. And maybe yeah. maybe Christians can 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 have convictions for sure, but they don't need to divide over these things. But right, that's don't you think a lot of this is is the Lord uh, in His providence um, rooting out cultural Christianity? I you know, I, just I totally saying. believe that, and I think it's good, but it's painful. It's painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think there's a sifting that is happening right now in our culture that um, obviously will be for for its for our good. But yeah. Mac, let me ask you this: um, We have our work in a very very uh, Muslim context in North Africa, and because this will be on the internet, I, yeah, I won't say it. But um, you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty dangerous <laughs> because uh, you know, a number of years ago, I decided I'm just going to tell people. Sure. I'm just going to tell people what happens. Everybody knows that I do that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it's also why I've had incredible opportunities to share the gospel with people of, you know, like the prime minister of Kurdistan and yeah. others. Yeah. I uh, just, I just decided if I go to jail, uh, you know, my life is, my, I'm ready. I am ready to, you know, my, my life is forfeit anyhow. Right. And uh, I did that when I bent my knee to Jesus in Zermatt, Switzerland. Yep. And so we, we talk about things pretty openly. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and well, uh, yeah, come with me. The thing that I always hear, because I go over to meet with our team in North Africa, I try to go over there at least once a year to encourage them. And we take some folks with us to encourage them. And, yeah. No, it's so good. Um, but I've had multiple people over the years um, stop me after church and and just say, you, sh- you should not be going over there. It is not right. safe. Right. And um, like very well-intentioned people. And oh, even, of course. And even those folks that aren't like, I've had two times where, where it's typically the dad of a young woman at our church. You know, <laughs> well, good for him. Uh, coming, coming up and just saying, you know, I work for the State Department, you know, oh, right, and right, I'm right. visiting and you don't know me, but, you know, you have no business in that part of the country. Like those people will kill you. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, right. So and they might, you know, so look, here's the th- Here's my answers to those kind of things. And yeah. I can tell you stories about it too, but uh, funny stories. Uh, but what's safety got to do with it? I know. <laughs> what's I know. it got to do with it? I, and that's it what I say to our church is like, I keep, I keep flipping through my Bible, looking for the verse yeah, about I'm safety to find that. and that verse about safety. I, I, I just can't find it. I, I can't find that. Yeah. I, I find, I do find, uh, you know, examples of being wise Absolutely, uh, are being clever. Sure, I think Paul was clever when he stood at, in the court and with chains and yep. said, "I wish that you would become a Christian, except for these chains." Right. Uh, I think that's very clever. Uh, so I don't think it, we have to be antagonistic. He advocated um, for his Roman citizenship when they yeah, were gonna, he, when they were going to beat him. Yeah, yeah. So and, I mean, we we don't want to be foolish, and we want to take advantage of the gifts that God has given us, or situations we put it. My little blue passport has been very helpful many times. Yes. Uh, so, uh, 
Yeah. So I, I, I was, I, this was a couple years ago. We had, we had come back uh, to the States. We attended church at third Avenue. I'm with my family. Uh, as we're in church, I start getting text messages that the airport is being bombed uh, by Iranians. Uh, and the target was the base, the military base, American military base. This is in, this would have been like 2019, I guess, when everybody is in church, everybody is saying, don't go back, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my two-year-old granddaughter is on my lap. Yep. I have the warm fellowship of Thur. Yep. I'm with my family. I don't have to go back. We're in transition anyhow. But I'm the pastor. Right. <laughs> you know, right. The, what does that look like? You know, right. what does that right. mean? Of course I have to, you know, but I, I thought about it. So I'm not. When people come to me and say, you can't go back, it's dangerous over there. It's not like I don't listen to them. Right. Or are cavalier or reckless. Yeah. Or, and I'm not. Yeah. I want to consider it and pray about it. But I mean, uniformly, we... We found that when we moved to the Middle East after 9-11 or when we moved to Iraq or when we go back when in the midst of war or deprivation or poverty or to this dystopian landscape of, of Erbil, that God has blessed that. He's, yeah. He rewards that. Yeah. And it's been true in our lives. So what's the reward? Part, of the, part of the reason, well, the biggest reward, brother. Now I'm. I, you should know. I. I, I mean. I, I. hope this doesn't offend your church. I'm a Calvinist. Okay. I, I, it, it doesn't I'm offend. A, yeah. I'm a. You know. I'm. I'm. I'm a five pointer. Sure. <laughs> so I, I say that to say that my children tell us that they came to faith because they saw us living like we were Christians. Right. Like we really believed that Jesus got up from the dead. Amen. And um, and that he promised to be with us always. Yes. And he said, don't be afraid. Yes. And he said, go. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's just above your pay grade to tell me not to go somewhere because it's dangerous. Now, uh, yeah, so... Do we take precautions? Sure we do. Do we try and live safer places or with some security? Yeah, I mean, we do. I mean, there's some people who don't, and I don't, sure. as a point of conscience, I, I don't oppose that. Uh, I think there's some people who do some dumb things. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. Although that's sort of relative. All to say, you know, my, I, I know, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe in election, but I think our witness to our children was real to them. Yes. Uh, cultural Christianity is not, we're producing a lot of moralistic kids, right. but I don't see them genuinely converted. Right. Um, so I, I think that's, that has been a great reward. The only thing I, you know, just that the vibrancy of ministry there yes. is such a reward. You know, to see people come to faith and grow in the Lord despite suffering and opposition is just a phenomenal privilege. And to to be able to share the gospel with people who've never heard it before, yeah, uh, and know they've never heard it before, you yes. know, 
under no illusion that they've heard it before. <laughs> yes. Um, boy, and the and the fruitfulness of the ministry that we saw over the years. Yes. I mean, it took time. We had right. seven very lean years in Dubai. Yeah. Uh, and then seven fat years. So opposite of Joseph's experience in the in in Egypt, but um, amazing things happen. Yeah. Um, and the joy of starting and just throwing seed on the ground and watching it grow. So, yeah. So, I mean, the biggest rewards are seeing those kind of things happen, yep. I think. Um, yeah. So does that answer? Yeah, it does. Uh, I, yeah, I give me love, a follow-up question. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to hear you speak to the, at our church, the dominant demographic is probably the late 20s, early 30s, either Really? Oh, good. Yeah. So, um, you got a lot of folks from University of Madison, um, uh, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, Madison. Yeah, connected definitely through graduate school and some undergrads. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we have a lot of people that um, I would say are not consumer Christians, not cultural Christians. Sure. Um, and they, yeah, I would expect that at X Way Nine Church. They that they, would be. Yeah, they. Um, I love our people. Mm-hmm. And I, I can imagine some folks at that stage in life um, that are here in this podcast right now and thinking, my heart's starting to beat a little faster, uh-huh. but I have no idea what to do about that. Yeah. And what is your advice to folks that are wondering, should I go? Um, yeah, go. I don't experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. What... How do you counsel well, I do folks? Have, let me, let me, uh, this is a two-part, this is a two-part answer. So I went to, I spoke at a missions conference in uh, South Shore Baptist Church where Jeremy Rennie uh, was the pastor. And uh, it was a great time and sharing stories about what the Lord had done. Uh, at the end of that conference, uh, the missions pastor went to Egypt. The pastoral assistant came with us to Dubai and the senior pastor went to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I said, they'll never invite me back to do another missions conference. Yeah. <laughs> so usually the guys that hearts beat faster, are the pastoral staff, you know? Right. Uh, so yeah, if that's describes you, brother, you should definitely go. Well, uh, and your church could find a good pastor, but anyway, <laughs> I, you know, but I'll let you deal with that in the Lord. Sure. But I, I'll say, what what is needed right now in the in the Middle East? This is what's needed in 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 my you know wheelhouse. The things that I see, sure. Uh, and that would be North Africa. We spend a lot of time in Tunisia. We love Tunisia. Uh, yeah, all over all over the Levant, uh, Lebanon, uh, you know, and up, and then Iraq. Certainly. Uh, the Arabian Peninsula, mature pastors hmm. who understand church. So people are coming to faith, but they're going to bad churches, yeah. horrible churches. Yeah. Kenneth Copeland churches. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joyce Myers churches. I mean, I and I, I hate to speak publicly about folks who've actually had some influence on some of the people that I know and love, but these are not good churches. Right. Uh, they do damage right. in the missions world right. and they are promoting uh, things that are horrible <laughs> uh, theologically. And so we need pastors 
mature brothers, not just young people. So look, I, I love mobilizing young people. I'm a part of the cross missions conference from the inception. Mm-hmm. I want, I want students and young folks, 18 to 24 year olds to hear the call of Christ and pursue missions in their lives. But the, the real need is not for young guys to go over there for three or four years. The real need is for pastors to go over for 20 years, give their life to a church, a healthy church right, in a Muslim context and see it flourish and grow. But what if you're not a pastor? Now, I be- become one or suck the marrow out of the bone of a good and healthy church. Yeah. Which is sort of what I did. I wasn't a pastor. I was a student worker, right? Sure. Now I was old. I was 45 when we left. You know, I'm like one untimely born. Yeah. Uh, so I packed up my my teenager right. <laughs> and soon to be teenagers, and we went to the Middle East. And I mean, we we parachuted in. It, it, there was no there was no template right. for us. Right. And uh, so it's. And I could do that. I mean, part of it is how I'm wired, but part of it is I have experience in ministry. Yeah. And so, so we could adapt and change. We didn't have to have someone telling us, oh, use this discipleship book <laughs> or use this method. Um, we, we, it was more of a gift. We knew what to do. Yeah. It was yeah. Gifting. We knew what to do. I mean, we, it was gifting. It was experience and, and we had a team. We knew how to recruit a team and we knew how to raise up campus yep. ministers. And so yep. uh, by the time we left, we had 15 full-time campus ministers that spoke nine different mother right. tongues. So, uh, But what I'm hearing yeah, you say, so, Mac, uh, what I'm hearing you say is like, we need leaders to go. We, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I would say elder qualified. Right. That's I, I'd like to what put if it you're... in terms of biblical, biblical language. I, it's so helpful in these, in these things to use biblical language when you can. And so someone who fits, even if you're a woman, uh, t- Titus woman, well, they fit the, so absolutely. Yep. Uh, so t- uh, first, first Timothy three, yep. Titus one, uh, certainly you don't have to be an elder, but a, a woman can look at those lists and say, do I, do I These fit? character Am qualities. I mature? Is yeah. character qualities. Yep. So, so for guys, you don't have to be an elder, but you ought to be on elder trajectory. Right. And uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a complementarian. I'd be a committed complementarian, but you know, if you, if you take women out of the equation of missions, you don't have missions practically. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, Amen. I mean, it's just, it's just no, I'm not saying that because I'm opposed. I was just hoping that like, yeah, yeah, could... no, no. I, 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 and I'm not looking for a fight. I just, no, no, no. We're uh, complementarian too. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, uh, yeah. Like if it's elders, like some people, cause of what we teach is male only elders. It's like, well, what about the women, you know? Yeah. Just elder, you know, elder, you know, that you look at that list and you see the character You're, qualities of, mature of believers, ministry that's ma- happening. Mature and believers. for women, I'd say that a track record of, of Titus too, you know, that they've been teaching other women and yep. they've taken that seriously and yep. they're discipling people. What we don't want to do is just get people whipped up because their hearts are beating faster and fill planes. Right. So I, sometimes on the cross, on the cross committee in the past, I felt like a wet blanket because, you know, you've got mobilizers like John Piper and David Platt, you know, these yeah. guys are astonishing, you know, right. in terms of their ability to move people's hearts and get them beating faster. Right. But we just don't want to fill planes based on that, you know, right. based on that, you know, uh, uh, so I've said, 
So David and John both, and I think agree with this, but mobilization without foundation is devastation on the mission field. Wow. Preach that. Uh, yeah. So that, well, it's the same I, in I, our I, churches. You know, it's like when the guy, yeah, when the guy like yeah. anoints himself to go off to seminary and I'm like, well, brother, yeah. d- does your local church want yeah. you to go to seminary? Yeah. 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 You know, it's just like that. So often I say things like, don't, don't send us a missionary <laughs> if you aren't willing to put them on your church staff. You know, don't do that. Yeah. That's bad for me. Amen. Uh, uh, it's bad for the, the call to missions. I, I mean, we, we meet missionaries all the time who were shunted off because they, they were so difficult in the church. Right. right. Um, so, and, the, and, and for the women, the same thing, you know, uh, if you don't, if you're not willing to put a, a woman on your church staff, don't send her overseas. That's, that's kind of a, yeah. just a rule of thumb. Right. You know, so no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this, Mac, how would you counsel us as a church to do the best job we possibly can to love and support those that are being sent. Like for Uh example, we're sending our first full-time couple to Ecuador. Um, Yeah. They're long-term to be a part of our work there. And we've partnered with um, a team of nine people in North Africa and we've had medium-term folks go to North Africa. um, And we really want to be a church that like supports them really well in addition to our local church planters as well. Yeah. Um, but you have so, experience being on the receiving end. Um, oh, brother. How, have how, I ever. How do, how do local churches bless those that are going? Well, it's, it's more than, let me, let me take a bigger picture view of that. Um, it used to be, so I've raised support all my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be, when, when I would go speak at a church and the missions coordinator, the missions pastor would come up, Mac, uh, what can we do for you? You know, <laughs> buddy, you better hang on to your wallet. You know that? <laughs> um, but over time, I just, uh, yeah, it was like the best thing that you can do to support me is to be a vibrant, healthy church, mm-hmm. Bible-drenched, gospel-centered, healthy mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. that takes biblical church seriously because you're sending people that are that have bad church examples often, and mm-hmm. they do damage when they get overseas and realize I'm a church planner and I don't know anything about the church. Mm-hmm. So we see people all the time. Yeah, I'm planning. It's kind of popular now to be a church planter, right? Everyone's right. a church planter. And uh, you ask them, well, what churches have you, have you planted? Well, I've never actually planted a church. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> you know, oh, my word. <laughs> because it, it's, just, it's just reproducing bad church, right? which has been historic uh, kind of, problem in missions right right of right. you know we all know what the aim is indigenous self supporting self perpetuating yeah. yep. vibrant gospel centered churches um that are filled with uh elders who know how to exposit the scriptures care pastor their people i mean we know there's not it's not rocket science right where right. we're going why is it that I do not know a single 
indigenous healthy church in the Middle East. I mean, bill, billions of dollars have been spent. Hmm. Billions. Uh, hundreds of thousands of lives have been spent mm-hmm. on these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know of, you know, I, I know of some vibrant, healthy international churches now. I'm grateful for that because we need those models. Uh, and I know of some, you know, pretty good churches that are anomalies. Casa de Barra in Cairo, uh, you know, I'm grateful for them. Uh, although they, you know, there's a lot of things you and I would disagree with them about. Sure. Um, yeah. And why is it that we're so willing to compromise on things like insider movement, which is just kind of a pragmatic, syncretized method to avoid suffering and mm-hmm. persecution? I, why, why is the church so unaware of what their missionaries are doing? Mm-hmm. So I just got a text message from a pastor this morning. He said, hey, what's this insider movement? Some of our missionaries are doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for you, Mac, how did you feel loved and supported by the local church? Like, Well, I, co- coach- I, know, I'm, I know I'm not answering your question. Yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> so what it doesn't mean is sending us chocolate chip cookies. Right. That is not what it means. Right. And what it doesn't mean is sending a lot of money, although you should support your missionaries well. Yes. Uh, I mean, they're scraping by. That's, I mean, the best thing money does for us is put us in positions where we don't have to worry about money. Yes. Uh, that's about stressful. the best thing it does yeah, for us. It can be stressful. Yeah. So, so you want to eliminate the, that problem. Uh, you, you want to support your missionaries well, and you want to make sure that their, the foundation for their ministry overseas is solid and strong and that they really get church and yeah. are able to withstand the attacks and slings and arrows of other missionaries who think the church is, is a peripheral issue. Right. Um, so, I mean, if, if that happens, the rest is sort of gravy, uh, you know, and it and, and it's case by case. Right. So some people love for folks to come over and bring a team of short-termers. I bet that would be true in Ecuador. Yep. You know, that'd be a great place to take yep. a short-term team. We had a church that stopped supporting me because I wouldn't let them bring a short-term team to Dubai. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't fit. It wasn't right. You know, I didn't yeah. want to buy it. I didn't want a bunch of short-termers running around when the work was so fragile at that particular time. Right. Um, and they stopped supporting us because they said, this is, this is a part of our, if we can't bring a short-term team. I said, you know, you're welcome to come as pastoral staff and see what we're doing. Yes. I don't mind that, but I, I can't, you know, I can't spend my time, uh, you know, supervising and superintending a short-term team. So, yes. you know, it just depends. It yes. depends on what, yes. what people are well, our, how they're wired. Our, um, you, I was just gonna say yeah, our, so, our big our big value is relationships. You know, sure. We oh, want, mine too. We want to pastor those that we're sending, and yeah. and just make sure that they're not feeling isolated and left alone. Right. And, of course. And, and some. And, it depends on the situation. Again, it depends right. on the situation. So our aim in establishing our churches overseas was to make sure you didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So when a missionary came to our church. He said, look, I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, you know, so now I'm 60 years old, right? I'm 60 years old. I'm the pastor of this church. Missionary walks in, young guy, uh, young family usually. I am not going to ask you 
to run the nursery. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you, you are stepping into our church and, and, and if this was true about them, I would say, and we want to be a supporting pastoral caregiving church to you for your ministry. Our church will see what you're doing in your outreach yeah. as a part of what we would see, what we think your church back home would want us to do for you. Yes. So we want you to be members. Right. We want you to come under the authority of our eldership. Yep. We want you to we want you to pursue the ministry of God's call in your life and your ministry with a passion. And yep. we will help you with funds. Yep. We will help you with pastoral care. We'll help you with other resources in the church. Yep. Yeah, that's beautiful. Brother, I, I know very few international churches that say things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Not only that, we we want you to form uh, in your language group, form a home group under under the leadership of our church who become members. And even if they don't speak English, that will be a language-specific home group. Yep. So we had a Kurdish, an Arab, a Farsi, and an Urdu-speaking home group. Wow. And in that home group, we will, we will help you understand and know what a healthy church is. Wow. So you come to our English-speaking church, even if you don't speak English, if someone translates for you, that's fine, but there's a lot of stuff there. And when you go to your home group, they will translate the sermon for you and explain what we're doing in church. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's for. As a proto-church, you know, the idea being we're going we're gonna to make, uh, you know, we're going to form this home group as a potential church. Yep. How can short term? So, brother, I know, I get, I know, I, I get, I, I know, I'm not answering your question because I think you're asking about pastoral care and stuff like that. Yeah. The best thing you can do for your missionaries to go overseas, if they can, is is to join a, a local healthy church if there is one, right, and become a part of that church and help that church understand that they're supporting their ministry. Uh, or if it's a bad church, reform that church, right. roll up their sleeves like we did in Dubai and have it become a healthy church for other missionaries down the road. Right. Well, in one of the cases uh, in North Africa, there is a church that's been planted, but very, very small. Right. Uh, I, I know it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with those. Yeah. That situation. Yeah. So it's... Um, I would want to know if I would want to know, brother, I would want to know their ecclesiology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of folks you're supporting. I'd want to know their missiology. Yep. Yep. I'd want to know, I'd want to know what have you done? I yep. mean, the three-legged pillar in terms of your own evaluation is are they faithful? Of course. We all say yep. that, right? Everyone yep. wants their mission. Are they fruitful? Mm-hmm. Is there fruit mm-hmm. from from their ministry? And are they strategic? Yeah. That's the three-legged stool of really your evaluation of your missionaries. Yep. Um, yeah. And thankfully we have really close relationships with them in over the course of many years now where yeah, those, those things yeah. are being, uh, we're focused. We're not spread super thin. We don't have like the shotgun yeah, approach yeah, yeah, yeah. where we, yeah. we write checks to lots of people that we don't have relationships with. It's more right. Focused. The sun never sets on the missionary enterprise of, <laughs> of our local church, grace church. Or whatever. Right, What's right. the name of your, your the, vine church? The vine the vine. The vine, the vine, the vine. The sun never sets. We give them $25 a month. It's right. like tipping missionaries, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we, we go, we go deep and narrow for yeah, the sake that's of impact. Right. Andy Johnson's book on missions is really helpful yes. for churches. Uh, I, I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you one more here, Mac. And, and I love how we've t- 
totally not talked about what I planned for us to talk about, but <laughs> it's totally good. It's totally good. And this has been really, really fruitful. We um, can do it again. Yeah, we'll I do it again. Stories out we'll, we'll do it again. I look forward to it, Mac. Um, but we do send a lot of short. I, I try to promote. We try to promote uh, an annual church church wide short term trip to Ecuador. Um, and, you know, short term trips sometimes get a bad rap and certain people say yeah, really yeah, strong yeah. things about that. And some people on the other side of things feel like feels like they just promote kind of um, missional tourism. Yeah. And you know, I wrote a book on this. Exactly. That's why I'm writing. Yeah. That, yeah, that's yeah, why okay, I'm asking. Okay. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. So help our church. What are the main high level principles on how to do short term trips? Well, yeah, go, go back same place over and over again. Yep. You know, long-term relationships. Relationships. Yep. So short-term missions with a long-term view. That's the high level. Preach that, um, man. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Because that's not really a short-term. You know, Paul did that. Right. For crying out loud. I mean, well, so isn't, isn't it the other one, though, Matt? Well. Isn't the other one, though, like, um, like we're not here for missional tourism, and we're not here for the workers to be busy just so that they can scratch some itch that the eldership at our church has to like say yeah, that we've checked yeah. the box of putting people in a country. But right. the what, what I try to make sure is happening is that we're, if we're going to do this, we're actually helping based on how the people that are there define what is helpful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So field driven short terms, not church driven. Yeah. That would be another high level principle. Right. Make sure it's field Meaning the field uh, you know, and do the, the math, do yeah. the math. So, you yeah. know, if someone, uh, so a missionary, this is, this is a difficulty. We have a lot of missionaries who are raising support who, uh, you know, kind of are scraping by, they, they don't have a lot of support. Maybe they come from churches that are, maybe they come from non-Christian backgrounds and, sure. you know, or they don't have a lot of cred- credibility or they've just started. And, and so they tend not to say no to any request from a church. Um, so ask, I'd ask more questions, but, uh, and a lot of times it's very encouraging for folks, but if you've got a guy who has, let's say 15 churches supporting them and they all want to bring short terms, <laughs> that's, that's his ministry right there. Right. I mean, his ministry is going to be supervising short terms for right. folks. Right. And we know missionaries who do that and to great detriment yeah. to what could be really good work. Right. So do the math, you know, do the math on that. How many people are supporting you? What, what are your needs? So I would say if you, if short terms are, are really important for the church, uh, I I bump up your, your support level for them. So they, so they're not attending to a a lot of people coming to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's really helpful. And it is true that our, our goal is, repetition and our goal is relationship and our goal is uh-huh. letting those yeah. on the field define right um what service yeah, it sounds like, like you're doing what i would do yeah in, i appreciate that, that mac well mac i've taken up uh an hour and 10 minutes of your time and and i just want to say <laughs> thank you so much for sharing um a slice of your life and you bet. such amazing testimonies yeah. Yeah, and, it's a uh, joy. I hope we can have you back uh, to talk more about evangelism and some of those local yeah. context things. But uh, yeah. what we talked about is really uh, one of the facets of what we want to be as a church. So it's really served us well. 
So thank you so much, Mac. I appreciate it. It's a joy. 